season three of Granite State Golfers with Micah. I'm an avid amateur golfer in New Hampshire. This podcast dives into the stories of some of the best golfers in my home state. We are about to tee off. Please join me. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. The days are getting longer, and as we inch toward the end of winter, I am getting excited for the golf season to start. This episode starts the beginning of Season 3. I look forward to more conversations this year with some of the best golfers in the state. If you have suggestions for guests, shoot me an email at micastark at gmail.com. This episode features John Clark, who is the superintendent at Rochester Country Club. This is the first time I've had a superintendent on the show. John has spent his entire career at Rochester. We talk about the various aspects of the job, how course management has changed over the years, why tree thinning is helpful, the increased focus on sustainability, and how science and technology is helping superintendents make smarter decisions. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with John. Well, hi, John. Welcome to Granite State Golfers, and thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, I'm looking forward to it. Super. Where did you grow up, and and was was golf uh, part of your livelihood or something that you did as a kid? I'm actually a, a Dover native. Still live in Dover. Went through the Dover school system. Ended up at UNH. Um, but I was more of a, a bicyclist and a tennis player. The uh, golf was never something that even even crossed my mind, or I, I don't think I even knew anybody that played golf, to tell you the truth. I remember one of my first golf experiences was at Pease when I we was still with the air base, and uh, really didn't know what I was doing. I just finished a hole and just pulled my walked my pull caddy my uh, pull cart right across the green. And one of the old timers comes, you know, halfway across the hole. What are you, what are you guys doing? You don't do that kind of stuff. Where's your etiquette? So that was, I, I never forget that. I have no idea what I did the rest of the, the 18 holes, but I remember that specifically. <laughs> um, so now I, I never uh, really did grow up with the game. Yep. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. What, um, so you went to UNH and you were in the College of Life Sciences and Agriculture. Um, let's talk about that time and what was your first awareness of an interest that got you into the field of golf, eventually becoming uh, a, a golf course superintendent? Yeah, so I was at UNH from uh, 1982 to 86. And that first year, you have to take all those general courses, fulfill all those requirements. Yep. And uh, that second year, my advisor is trying to push me which which way to go. And I I always knew I liked landscaping, uh, maintaining the, the family property and that, that avenue. I said, well, I'll, I'll go into the plant science department then, I guess. Still not really knowing what I wanted to do because you could either go a more scientific biotech type route or a, uh, I'll just call it a blue collar route whether it's landscaping, golf courses, greenhouses, uh, any of those, maybe production facilities, that kind of thing. And um, it wasn't until I took a, a turf science class with Dr. John Roberts that I 
I started to look at golf courses and uh, we went on, uh, went on a couple of field trips, different courses in the area, looking at a lot of the cultural practices they were doing. It would have been a fall class. So there were lots of aeration themes going on at the different courses. And um, I don't know, that, that super short grass on those greens, it, it just really piqued my interest. You know, how do they, how do, they do that? That's incredible. So then uh, I believe it was, I completed that course. And then uh, sometime in the, the next semester, he called me into his office and he said, John, you know, they're changing superintendents at Rochester Country Club. And I know he'll be looking for new summer employees. Um, why don't you go over there? If that's something you like to do. So I, I checked it out and it was March, almost this time of the year, March uh, vacation of uh, 1985 uh, is when I started there and I'm still there today. <laughs> wow. So uh, you, when you, you got the bug then, I mean, for your, to stay in the career and to stay at one place, there was clearly something about this field that you saw early on that really drew you into it. Yeah. You know, it, it was more of the fact that, Everything I learned in school, I was able to use on the job. It's it's one of those fields. I I, uh, I mean, just looking back at it now, as I say it, and listening to some uh, people these days, where they go to school and then take a completely different career path. Yeah, um, this is one where I use it every day, and uh, that is probably what has you know, kept me going in this industry. Yeah. Um, what, uh, you know, just a sort of broad question. I mean, I think for golfers, particularly those who play quite a bit, they're aware of, you know, the maintenance crew, the superintendent's crew. They know they change whole locations. They know they're out obviously mowing the grass and mowing the greens, but, you know, I guess if you could share a bit more as you think about your job and your team's job, sort of the the sort of breadth of responsibilities and things that that you and your team need to do, particularly we'll get to the off season, but particularly, you know, mid season, just sort of share, you know, the the wide range of things that that you guys have to do to keep the course in great shape. Yeah, it, it really does encompass quite a bit. And I, I probably won't touch on everything but um as you said all the the basics are are there every single day and um right there is a challenge for management because people can get maybe maybe not lazy but lackadaisical whatever you want to say so you really have to uh to manage the people and remind them that we're trying to put out a, a quality product uh each and every day no matter what the weather may bring. Um, there's, I think, I think for me, probably the, the biggest challenge is probably the, uh, the management of the people or employees um, to try to get everybody on that same page. It's, it is, I like to um, maybe um, encourage anyone on the crew to play golf. Most of them do. And more importantly, go out to other facilities to see what gets done. 
um, because they do come back and say, oh, well, those those teas were like our greens or vice versa. They're not as. Of course, wasn't as good as we maintain it, and that yeah. makes them see the course in a different light. So I think having people understand that aspect um, is important. Um, a lot of the employees don't. Um, maybe they don't. They haven't played golf at a, uh, a higher level or anything, but they just they they enjoy the game. Uh, but that doesn't mean they 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 fully understand how to work around a course. Uh, uh, just working in between groups, um, limiting interaction with the groups, that kind of thing, so that they can the golfers can play uninterrupted. Um, I guess one of the again, it's all everything is learning or teaching your employees. We're we're always having to teach. And remind many of them are seasonal, so they they have four or five months off. You have to kind of start all over again to some some degree. Irrigating and syringing those kind of specialty techniques. There's 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 an art to it, and to teach that takes a couple of seasons for somebody yeah. to really catch on. When you when you're in midsummer, how large is your crew? I usually have probably 10, 10 to 11 crew members. Yep. Um, it's not, not the biggest crew. And as you're probably aware, in today's world, all of them but two are retired em employees just looking for something to do for five, six hours in the morning, and then that's it. They'll go play golf or they, you know, that's, that's their day. Yep. Um, but they work out great. Yeah. They're, they're here for a purpose. They do it well. And that's all you can ask. Yeah. Speaking of irrigation, and maybe this is a segue into a, a a sort of big topic I wanted to talk to you about, which is the changing climate and much more extreme weather events we're having this past season. The 2023 season for New Hampshire was very wet. We had a lot of rain throughout the season, but you only had to go back. I think maybe summer of 21, uh, where we had a, a, a really bad prolonged drought. And so tell me a little bit about the challenges of irrigation. And I'm sure there's other challenges on the, you know, when our wet years to our dry years, but we've just in these last couple of years, we've had two pretty big, pretty, pretty big extremes. And what challenges does that present for you and your team? The, uh, I suppose the joke in the industry is the, it's not really irrigation. It's called the irritation system because no system is perfect. They, you refer to them as automatic irrigation systems, but by no way are they automatic. With new technologies these days, yes, there is a lot of new computerized elements to the systems, but um, it's still looking and watching and seeing what's happening day in and day out. One thing that uh, does benefit with me with being at Rochester for so long is the fact that I, I really know the greens, the tees, and the fairways um, relative to soil and the amount of water they need and 
how far you can push them, limiting the amount of water, trying to gain some green speed and that kind of thing. Um, so I've really, I look at it being quite fortunate in that aspect. But the the normal things, you know, you 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 uh, you're always watching the weather as a superintendent. Uh, even in the winter, we're watching the weather. But uh, more in season, you're trying to to weigh. Okay, how much how much water do I need to put on tonight? Because uh, maybe we're going to get some rain tomorrow. I don't really trust the weather reports, so right. I'm going to give it a maybe three quarters of what it might need. And so that's a game we're always playing in our minds. And that's that's kind of why it's, it's a little irritating because you there are many people that will say that, you know, you don't sleep well at night because it's always on your mind. Because if you if it doesn't rain the next day, that means you kind of have to change your whole schedule to accommodate getting things watered. That could have been watered last night, right? Um, so, that, so that's the frustrating part of it. Yeah. Um, and yes, uh, again, with all those changing weather conditions we've had in recent years, that's where your cultural practices really come into play. I've noticed uh, we've really been quite aggressive with the amount of sand we've been putting on the green, say the last five years, and it has a really nice. Uh, firm sand base to to it now and this year it really paid off because even though we had tremendous amounts of rain the the greens never became super soft so i was happy to see that that part of the management plan is, is working yeah what kind of grass um do you guys have at rochester in the fairways and on on, on the greens it is a mix of good old poa, uh, bent grass, and probably some uh, bluegrass would be in the fairways. Uh, we haven't really overseeded fairways or anything. Whatever's there is there. And through the years, again, history gives me this good eye here. Uh, through the years, the the fairways have really improved with uh, fungicide programs and lots of aeration. Everything you have to do to have your your turf looking um, at to the highest quality. And the bent grass just seems to love what's been happening the last few years. And that's without overseeding or anything. It's just what's there just starts to spread out. The greens, uh, we do overseed with various varieties of bent grass. I've never really stuck with one cultivar because not every area on the green may promote that specific grass from doing well. So I like to mix it up with uh, two or three varieties. And, and that, that happens every, every time we aerate. We go out with seed. Um, it seems that there's, I'd be curious from your point of view, it seems that there's more attention being paid for the golf industry about how sustainable golf courses are from an environmental perspective 
And I'm curious, in in the arc of your career, in your time at Rochester, how have you seen that evolve? And how do you think about sustainability doing the job you do at Rochester? Yeah, it gets back to what I just mentioned were uh, cultural practices. Uh, aeration, as we discussed, uh, irrigation, overseeding, using newer varieties of seed whether it's the green, the tea, or the fairways, um, mowing heights, mowing frequencies, everything we do day-to-day that people see us out there doing, rolling, all of these are in an attempt to provide the, the best growing conditions for the turf itself at whatever time of the year it may be. And... I think there are just there are just so many new tools out there, whether it be equipment or as I mentioned, seed varieties, um, chemical controls. I know people hate to to say the word and think about that, but we all use chemicals on our own bodies as well. So it's it's not something that the world can't accept. But on that subject, the the products that are out there today are just so much safer than products used years ago. They, when I first, well, it's almost forty years ago now. When I first got into the industry, even then there were um, products with lots of heavy metals in them because they worked. They controlled any disease or in, insect that you had as a problem. Today, many, many of the products really target a specific function within a cell or a growth habit in an insect. And being so targeted, they have limited, um, some of them have limited lifespans of the chemical itself, could be two to three weeks at most, depending on the weather. In the environment and um so in that that vein uh things are just so much safer and then yeah i guess that's about it the you know the sustainability side is and i like to do it i've, I've really focused on it say the last five to ten years is making things as simple as you can gives the grass the sunlight it needs yeah that's so often why we're removing trees. Um, it's not so much, you know, superintendents don't like trees. It's because we're trying to create that environment for the turf yeah. to be as strong as possible. So speaking of tree removal, that was another thing I wanted to talk to you about. So I know that it seems that is a trend in recent years for some tree removal. You hear about some of the famous courses yeah. um, that we might see on TV and how they're you know, over years, trees have matured, they've added more trees, and now they're sort of taking away, getting them back to maybe they were a long time ago. And then more locally, several courses in New Hampshire have done some significant tree removal projects. Manchester Country Club's gone through a big one. Oh, yeah. uh, I play mostly at the Oaks. I'm a member there. They're uh, working on a, a pretty significant tree removal project. Um, so for for your time at Rochester, Tell me about tree tree removal there, and then tell me about the benefits. You've talked a little bit about it, but the benefits of tree removal for the turf and how that plays into 
not just the playability perhaps and how it might change it for golf for the players but for how does true removal maybe impact your team's job um yeah so i i remember one of the first winters i was there year round we didn't have an easy way to get out to the golf course so the superintendent and i traipsed through i don't know it was probably a foot a foot and a half of snow to get down to the sixth hole to begin removing the good old big burly pine trees that's my first memory of uh removing trees at rochester and it, and it hasn't stopped some years were more aggressive than others the biggest thing i think as i mentioned earlier is it's sunlight but also it's the roots that people don't often think about you may notice say trees around a, a tee for example where there's a cart path around and okay the the roots are starting to to ruin the cart path a bit well those roots just keep going right over to the tee one of the many tees that we've cleared trees from around the, the second tee as an example it's within the first growing season after those trees are removed you see a significant difference in the quality of the turf it doesn't get thin with the play and again as i mentioned in fairways earlier that grass mostly the bent grass it just tends to spread right out you know without any extra effort there's no added fertilizer no added water it's just it's the there's no competition from those trees right and that is the biggest thing yep and i always like to point out um we're we're an owner or we have an owner for the club now it used to be uh board of directors and member owned so when they had a greens committee i would always point out kind of the uh riviera this weekend yep if you look at those most of those holes even where there are trees they are so far apart but they are nice beautiful individual mature trees and there's nothing wrong with that those are perfectly fine that's what you kind of want to aim for you don't need these masses of trees that just create shade and um all those root problems i mentioned and the other thing i get i'll finish up with the tree topic is the crew you don't have all that cleanup that's the biggest thing uh all year long there's always sticks leaves pine needles this year is a you may have noticed at the oaks pine cones it's just incredible the amount of labor that goes into maintenance and cleanup of trees is yeah. incredible yeah so if you, if you don't have to spend that money on trees you can put it into your as most people would want put it into your green greens program yep do something else uh do those other roll all other rollings or in, improve an area around a, a green you know yeah. so it only makes sense how's this um let's talk about this winter how's this winter going for you what's the weather been it's been mostly it seems like a mild winter um and any particular projects you guys are working on at rochester this winter the yeah the winter this winter has been great you you can't ask for a better winter i don't think um we've had a little snow we've had some some timely snows where then we would get the a cold snap and uh, the turf was protected now all the uh at least as you know down in this area of the state there's uh no snow all my years 
the turf has been around a lot longer than we've been around and it will survive any exposure to um wind and lack of snow so and so this year I, i'm not worried about you know the outcome for the spring it should yeah. be an excellent spring for the greens when you get those very heavy snows and a rain and then some ice and that kind of stuff and melting that's when you start to worry and if you get any ice buildup on your greens so that's uh not even evident evident at all this year good good um and one i i'll throw something else in there yeah. i've tried a uh because of that issue of ice and tough springs usually the only thing that dies is the poa it's just a weak it's a weed I think most golfers may know it. Many may not. Um, but it, it's a it's a weedy grass. Invades very quickly, very easily. Uh, you always hear them talking on TV about the Western West Coast tour, how the poa gets bumpy at the end of the day, and blah 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 blah. So anyway, there's uh, there's a new product out called Poa Cure, and it pretty much just takes that poa right out, and then you're Bent grass can just fill right in. And I tried that uh, for for two falls now. And it is. It's a, it's a great product. I did three greens at Rochester. And right now, they're probably 95 to 100% bent grass after just one season of using the product. Wow. So the winter weather is what, and the fact that it's finally registered in New Hampshire, um, the winter weather really motivated me to to start experimenting with that product because once again, if you're not worried about that ice buildup, you can sleep at night. Less wrinkles, you feel better. <laughs> the whole works. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about tournaments. So Rochester hosted the uh, New Hampshire Golf Association Mid-M in October. I played in that tournament, thought the course was in fantastic shape so compliments to you and your team Thank um you. for you know big tournaments like that what is the preparation and and how do maybe are your routines a little bit different to get ready for hosting a tournament than say just regular play with your members in the public yeah so i actually when there's a a, a, a bigger tournament like that i'm actually planning at least two to three weeks out what i'm um, i'm thinking about top dressing for added smoothness um getting a decent rolling schedule going so it, it continues into the the tournament week applications of growth regulators especially on the fairways because it's such a large area that needs to be maintained so that during that tournament week we're the, the turf is under regulation, so we actually can limit the amount of mowing we have to do. And then there's no, there's no risk of um, excess clippings, which then have to be blown. So it's, it's really a labor-saving thing. And as I mentioned earlier, you can then put that time into your greens, which is the most important part of any any tournament, really. So I do. I, I plan out, like I said, two three weeks maybe even more depending what event it is i think 
2025, I think we have the state am there. So I'll be planning, you know, right from April. Yeah. Because you have to have that Good. plan well established in, in your mind of what yeah. you're going to do, no matter what happens. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, the cruise usually, um, you know, it, it's kind of a, a shortened work day for most of the time. Once in a while, we will come in, in, in uh, later in the day and try to catch up with some mowing. And um, so there's a little mix up in, you know, the, the cruise schedule. Yeah. But overall, I'm, I'm, and I try to keep them fairly consistent because as you get older, they like consistency. <laughs> <laughs> you can't throw too many changes at them. Right. Um, let's talk about your professional association, the New Hampshire Golf Course Superintendents Association, which uh, I gather has been a, a big part of your professional career. And tell me about that group and what are what does that group focus on and how have you benefited from that group? Yeah, it really it it really has been a such an important part of my career. Um it just being involved going to meetings, you you're able to talk to everybody, see what's happening out in the state. Um different levels of clubs. And of course, it's it's really no surprise that we all go through the same things no matter where you are. Uh whether, as you, as you said, whether you're Ball Peak, Rochester, um, Abenaki, sure, they might expect a little more, but they also do give you a little more to work with. Um, yeah, so I was, I've been the, a pre, the president of the association for a couple of different terms in the, the late, late 90s and then early 2000s. And, I, you know, there's so many, so many things I could say about it on the, on the positive side, I guess, just getting out there and, and uh, making all those professional connections. It's, it's led to um, being a board of director on the New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation, which I'm, I'm currently holding with, with Randy Weeks from Laconia Country Club. We represent the New Hampshire, um, group again my my earlier experience with the new hampshire superintendents association goes nicely with the the uh turfgrass foundation you can use that experience uh it it's been a great group it's um the the seven new england associations got together originally everybody had their own conference in the winter and there was a lot of repetition uh, commercial vendors were, you know, complaining they had to go from one to the other to the other. So we all got together, decided to have one central location, March time frame, and it's really worked out well. We've raised uh, over two and a half million dollars for research in the local, I'll say, New England economy, and research. Kind of what we've discussed, whether it be cultural practices, um, new control products that are out there. This year, we have an interesting one that we'll be funding about using scent lures to attract bumblebees to to old irrigation boxes that you may not be using anymore. 
And again, this is on the sustainability side where we're trying to promote the, the health of bees, bumblebees in this case, and uh, figure out any way we can Im- improve their environment. Yeah, interesting. So that's that. That's kind of a, you know, it's a nice to see from the researchers a little different topic. Yeah, come up. And so yeah. that was easy. That was easy one to decide to find. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, just a couple of minutes here, and I one section I do in this podcast I call "Gimme." So these are short, little, straight, so hopefully straightforward questions. <laughs> um, well, I, I can get long winded. <laughs> so. What is your favorite hole at Rochester? 15. How come? Oh, I like to stand on the tee. It has the uh the pond that you can't see from the tee. Yeah. Uh it was it was remodeled many years ago. But there's the the layering aspect of it. You see the landing zone, then you see the second shot area, but in the distance you see some of the the hills you know that that are further off in Rochester, and you have all these this layering panoramic type effect. It's also it's it's quite tight, um, and it's a challenge. It is a par five. You have to keep it straight and narrow. Yep. So uh, that's 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 one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a know. good one. Um, what's your favorite time of day to be working on the course? Anytime there are no golfers around. <laughs> but actually, I don't do it as as much. But going in the evening, the shadows are different than morning and say lunchtime when you when you're there all the time. Yeah. And you you see the course a little differently. And also the the players are different. They're out. They're like they want the, they want to get that evening round in. They want to have some fun and enjoyment. It's like there's a different feeling about the course. So I'd, I'd have to say that time of the day. That is a beautiful time to to play in the in the evening with the shadows. I um I generally play early in the morning. Uh, and there's another sort of beauty to the early light and the quietness of those early few hours of the day that I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I mean, there's lot, lots of times that, um, you, you get the, the distinct look of, of and feel of a golf course. Yeah. And it, I mean, it can be, like I said, when you're, when you're, especially on the crew, you're out there that hour, hour and a half before everyone gets out there. Um, it is nice to see actually that time of the day too, you'll see more of the wildlife kind of ending up their evening hunt or the deer moving from one side of the course to the other, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, that's a nice aspect of the morning round. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite season for work? Oh, I think it's fall. Uh, sure. There's, you know, the old leaf cleanup and that kind of stuff, but the grass kind of takes care of itself. It's, it's slowing down the, uh, most importantly, like end of September, October, the green speeds 
you don't have to do much to it and they'll stay a, a nice nice feed um takes a little pressure off you know um but yeah i i prefer fall kind of yeah. you're ending the season too right right days are getting shorter you know, yeah it's not as hot i'm not a great hot weather person um so that's that's what i enjoy yeah. i guess that is a pretty part uh, for new hampshire golf um I don't know if this is a fair question or not, but aside from Rochester, is there a course in New Hampshire that you really admire, you know, how they maintain and how they're taking care of the course that comes to mind? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure because as I said, um, I've played a lot of the, you know, the, the courses the the high-end courses i'll say yeah <laughs> if not all of them with with my limited abilities that is <laughs> um but i also i also know it's it's a money factor they are willing to put the money into it to get that product and what's really is surprising and you hear it from a lot of the sales reps when they uh, when you speak to them is the quality of the turf no matter what level of course you're playing um again it gets back to the, the science side of the the business and the changes and improvements in products and equipment it's it's uh it's much i'm not going to say it's easier because it isn't easier but you you do get much better results than say 10 or 20 years ago. Yep. And that's just that's science doing its thing. Yeah. Coming into play. Yeah. Um two more questions, you know, one about the future of your industry. Uh it seems and you've mentioned this there's a lot more science and technology that are helping to make better products. Um in sort of, you know, as you look out for the next five to 10 years for your industry, what are trends that you're excited about that that are coming your way for golf courses? Yeah, you know, one of the the, the newest things are the uh, autonomous mowers with the the labor issues that are affecting every industry. Yeah, there has been a, a much larger push for um autonomous mowers that you can just leave them out there on their own just like your Roomba in the house and they will do their thing there are it's it's more in the south and then the the west where there are courses that have used mowers for their fairways and maybe practice areas or, or certain fairways just as experiments um and they're actually quite successful again it comes down to money but if you're if you're not paying for labor you have to pay for something to maintain the course and that's that's where it's going so these would be individual mowers they could be two feet wide they could be three to four feet wide and they just go all day like uh the Roomba in your house as i mentioned but there's also sensors that you can put on fairway mowers this one's fairly new 
And as you're mowing the fairway, it's picking up data from the from the ground, hmm. soil moisture. I don't know how it quite does salinity or pH, but they say it does those kind of readings as well. So you're getting this constant information provided to you, usually right on, up to your phone, um, for you to understand your specific uh, turf needs, I yeah. guess you could say. Interesting. So there, there's all that sciencey aspect of the industry that really still has so much room to grow. Yeah, interesting. Um, my final question is, You've, you know, this is, you've, you've been at Rochester for your whole career. Uh, you've been working in the, on a golf course in the golf industry. What is it about your job and being a golf course superintendent that's kept you there? And what is it that you love about it so much? I think one of the aspects, especially in New Hampshire here, is that you do have all the seasons. And within those seasons, you, you have a change of um, work pace. As I said, this time of the year, it's a little more relaxed. I'm, I'm a worker. I still like to go in and put in that full day, no matter what I'm doing. But you can then go home and not have to think about much work-related. Then you hit the summer, prime time. You've, you've got to be on. You've got to be you hate to say it 24 seven, but it really, it is on your mind all day for at least 12 weeks out of those summer months. And, um, so understanding that and knowing that you have, as I said, the fall is coming quickly. Um, and you know, you've, you put in that strong effort, but there is relief at the end. And as I said right at the beginning, the fact that I can use everything I've learned and continue to add to it. I often will think of myself as um, Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory or Doc Martin from Doc Martin. Very focused, very science type of mentality you know why did this happen oh, well, how can i fix it that kind of thing um i would like to think that i have much better interpersonal relationship skills than those two do but <laughs> um, that's another story <laughs> so there's that side of it yeah and, and then just allowing yourself to at least me i could be different than others but allowing yourself to grow and, and realize when you're wrong or understanding your crew members. And, and, and I try not to get too involved in their lives, but understanding where they're coming from, if something is either going right or wrong in their lives. Yep. And so that's, that's always a interesting aspect yep. of this industry. I yep. guess any industry really, if you pay attention to your people. Yeah. Yep. Well, John, I appreciate your time. It was great talking to you and learning more about your job and and what's happening for golf course superintendents and appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed this.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Granite State Golfers is produced by Dew Sweeper Productions. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and leave a review. For those of us in winter climates, the season will be here before we know it. Until then, be well and LGLG. LG.